Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 12 of the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, John O'White, and today's guest is Dr. Philip Moulds. Uh, Philip has been the headmaster of the Rockhampton Grammar School since 2010. Philip is passionate about educating students to be the best people they can be, the development of leadership within schools, governance, students, teachers, school leaders, teaching and learning, global education, and school-based change. Before joining the Rockhampton Grammar School, 
Philip had worked at Brisbane Grammar School for 18 and a half years. Brisbane, by the way, for those outside of Australia, is uh, the city that I'm based in as well here in Queensland in Australia. Uh, at Brisbane Grammar School, Philip held a variety of positions, including Deputy Headmaster, Deputy Head of Boarding, Head of Science and Head of Chemistry. Also for 14 years, Philip worked as a lecturer for the Graduate School of Education at Harvard University online in the areas of educational leadership and using data to inform learning. Philip earned his PhD in education from the University of Queensland, investigating the planning, teaching and assessment of higher order thinking processes and dispositions. Philip also possesses a Bachelor of Educational Studies with first class honours, postgraduate diploma of education, Bachelor of Science and Bachelor of Music, all from the University of Queensland. Philip has been a member of the ISQ board for the past five years, which is Independent Schools Queensland, and has been the chair of the education subcommittee for the past four years. He is a graduate of the AICD director's course and has served on the Anglicare Central Queensland board and the board of the Australian Boarding Schools Association. Welcome, Dr. Philip Moulds. How are you, Jono? It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I, uh, <laughs> I jumped straight into it saying a fellow Queenslander, and I think um, the question that no one in the world apart from those in Queensland and New South Wales really care about, but uh, seeing as I know there will be a fair few, <laughs> uh, who do you go for in the state of origin? Are you a Queenslander or do you, do you go for New South Wales? Given that I grew up in New South Wales and its state of origin in terms of rugby league, I still go for New South Wales, but back the Reds in rugby union. Oh, okay. I love that. I always love it. It's one of those questions where it always brings really interesting answers. If uh, people are listening from outside of Australia and you've never heard of the state of origin, look it up. It's, it's definitely one of, the, uh, uh, one of the biggest sporting events over here in Australia. Um, well, thank you so much for, for coming on. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation about leadership. And let's jump straight into it. I would love to hear, and I'm sure the listeners would love to hear as well, your story, the story of uh, how you became the leader that you are today. And you can feel free to go back as far as you want. Um, and, and just to share, particularly, I guess I'm interested in, in some of those moments along the way that really shaped you becoming the leader that you are today, Philip. So yeah, tell us, tell us your story. Look, I, was, I grew up in country New South Wales and it was a lovely place to grow up. Inverell is a town of about 10,000 people. Inverell High School was a small high school in regional New South Wales where you got to know a lot of different people from a variety of backgrounds and people went to a variety of places. Mm. When I finished um, school, I was lucky enough to get into the University of Queensland and throughout your leadership journey, whether it be during your time at school, whether it be your time um, following school in some study or whether it be in employment, I think leadership's really shaped by the people that you work with, the people that you interact with, and the people who influence you. And I've been really lucky throughout all my life to have had some great influences, mm. whether, whether it be from mum and dad. Mum um, was a primary and infants teacher um, and in her career as, as a head of infants, um, both my uncle and my aunt on both sides and mum's side of the family were teachers. So I was sort of in a family of teachers anyway. So education was a little bit in the blood. I've always had a great passion and love for learning. And I think that's something that's also shaped my leadership journey. I've never sort of stood still. I've always wanted to know more and be really inquisitive. And I think in terms of enabling leadership of others, that's something that's one of those attitudes and behaviours that we really need to inculcate in all those around us. I've also yeah. been really um, fortunate to have a variety of different people who've really influenced me as we've gone through. Uh, my first teaching position, I was lucky enough to get a job at Brisbane Grammar School. For those who are listening who don't know Brisbane Grammar School, it's probably the leading academic school in Queensland. And when I was employed there as a first year out teacher, there weren't very many first year out teachers getting jobs um, at a school like that. Mm. So I was, I was very lucky to be employed um, majorly as a science teacher. And there was me, and then I think the next oldest member of staff was 20 years older than what I was within that staff room. Wow. And I was just so lucky to have people like David Betts, who was the head of department at that stage, David Briant, who was a 
another chemistry teacher who are poles apart in terms of personality and approach. Yeah. But at their centre of being was their love for students um, and their passion for growth and development and learning. And they approached it in a variety of different ways, um, but it gave you a great role model, a great set of role models and a great set of experiences that you could build upon your own self and your own understanding. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I was lucky enough to also had um, the headmaster at that time was Peter Lennox and the deputy which went through there who then became headmaster, Brian Shaw, provided me with great opportunities to try different things. You know, it was, it was a great space where in terms of leadership, you could take risks and fail but fail forward and learn mm. and, and, and go and look for look for better things going forward. I was also really lucky to have had networks going all the way through, whether that have whether that was at University of Queensland or whether that was at Brisbane Grammar School or at Rockhampton Grammar School where you can lean on work with other people to help you get better. Yes. Um, my work through um, the Harvard Graduate School of Education Wide World um, where I was there for 14 years, um, finished in about 2016, was a great time in terms of getting a different world view about education and, and how things marry together throughout the world. Um, working with Art Costa in implementing Habits of Mind, Brisbane Grammar School, in terms of developing attitudes, behaviours and links. Going through um, a Rockhampton Grammar School and transforming the culture and and learning so that it became the forefront about how students were metacognitive about their approach is also something that I've been really privileged to be a part of. Mm. And I suppose the core part of that being is that I've been really committed to working and learning at work. Yes. Um, you know, so part of my learning journey has been really learning as a part of a team, being able to work collaboratively with people, but having the primary side of my learning being my everyday work. And I think in terms of our leadership, the more we can focus people's learning on what they're doing from day in, day out, and make that the centre of their learning journey, mm. the greater leverage we get from the whole package. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm really excited to chat about learning, actually, because I've, I've had quite a few educational leaders uh, on the podcast and uh, schools is the biggest sector that that we work with at uh, at clarity but I feel like uh, working with schools and working with the education sector and talking about learning are sometimes um, two slightly different things and I think it's going to be fantastic today to mix the two and really really dive deep into I, I know there'll be a lot of uh, teachers listening and, and I have a, a bunch of really close friends and, and people in my network who are amazing teachers and those who are coming up through the ranks, um, you know, to and they're thinking they want to go and explore teaching. So I think that's going to be a, a fantastic conversation. Before we talk about that, as you look back on your uh, your journey to, to get to where you are today, you know, leading uh, the Rockham Rockhampton Grammar School. Um, what moments in particular come to mind as you reflect on that journey? Are there any that really you think back to, yeah, that's right, when that happened, when I, when I made that mistake but I learnt from it or when I, when I saw that leader interact in that way during that circumstance? Are, are there any moments in particular that you look back on as moments that really shaped you becoming the leader that you are today? I think when you reflect there are always those moments and there are, there are those moments that um, have been really positive um, and have really encouraged you to do certain things. And there's been, or there's always those moments in people's careers where you think, oh, I really didn't like that very much. <laughs> yeah. I'll never do that again. Um, so I think probably it's not necessarily a moment, but it's a period of time. Mm. When I was head of science and David Betts, who I worked with for many, many years, was the Dean of Studies, my work with him in terms of working out what the best process was to enable pedagogy and mm. to enable students to learn was seminal in my development because that's a question that you ask yourself when you're working with anybody 
um, who you're employed with. Yes. It, within education, you want the best for your students, you want the best for your staff, and you want that partnership to work really well with the parents as well. Mm. And when you're working with anybody within a business, you also want that to be a learning organisation and how to work best with them within a particular context at a particular time. Yes. And I suppose the thing that really hits me at the heart of that conversation and that time with David is, I suppose we're applying what I'd call the Lachlan and Claire test. So I've got two children. I've got Lachlan who's <laughs> now currently 20 and Claire who's currently 17 and year 12 at my school. Yeah. And the Lachlan and Claire test goes along the lines of you'd want every student at your school to experience what you'd want your own children to experience. Mm. And if you apply that test to anything that you're going about, I think that gives you a fair measure about what you want your workspace to be like. <laughs> you know, so you know, if, if you if you take yourself outside of education and you go to the business world, mm. you want for every employee what you'd want your own children to experience within their employment. Yeah. And if you yeah. use that as a driving factor, I think that creates a certain culture and creates a certain set of expectations that drives a place forward from from a place of heart and a place of value. Yeah, I, I love that. It's um, I've never thought of it exactly that way before. I love the Lachlan and Claire test. I think particularly for education, but it is a universal principle. One of the things that I, I ask um, leaders in coaching a lot, which was a question I heard someone uh, say, uh, you know, ages ago when they were talking about what they ask themselves when they're going through a, when they're leading through a challenging situation, they would ask, what, what would a great leader do? And I, and I always thought, oh, and then I tried asking myself that and I found it gave me all sorts of different perspectives. But the, what I love about the Lachlan and, and, and Claire test is that you, you take that to another level because I think that it's so funny how we're wired, how just asking that would open up all different ways of thinking about it. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I love that. That's really profound. Um, and I suppose the other thing in terms of experiences that you learn from another guiding principle is you cannot not influence. Mm. So, you know, there's certain times during everyone's career, I think, that you've let something go, but on hindsight, you really wish you hadn't let go. Yes. Because people will take that as either tacit approval or that you um, haven't cared enough about to engage with that particular point. So I think I think the other thing that I've really learned is whatever you do or you do not do, um, you have an influence not only on how you're perceived by others, but on what you stand for and what you support and what you don't support. Yes, yeah, I think that's uh, I agree. It's and it's that idea of culture is not just what you create, but I know there's a better, there's a really uh, poignant way to say it. I can't remember what it is, but that idea that culture isn't just what you create, it's what, you walk, what you're willing to walk past. It's what you Absolutely. tolerate. Um, and that, I remember hearing that for the first time, and for me that was a real aha moment of, oh, yeah, of course. That's, uh, it's the things that you tolerate and don't address that's also having an influence. Um, uh, so when it, comes to, when it comes to education, I guess uh, there's so many different ways I want to approach this because I really, I just feel like your uh, perspective on, on education, particularly for those listeners who are who are educators or want to be, uh, are moving towards that space, might be young leaders who, who really want to lead in, in education is going to be really valuable. But let's start with, say you've got a, a teacher um, who is in a position where they're, they're teaching and they're probably listening to this, which is maybe a sign that they... <laughs> that they are passionate about leadership if they're listening to the Leadership Conversations podcast, but there's something in them that goes, I want to lead in education. What would your advice be to, to someone, it could be young or old, who is in education as a teacher, but they're looking at the leadership and there's something about it where they're going, I really want to be a, a leader in the education space. What advice would you give them as you look back on your journey so far? I think the first piece of advice I'd give them is to realise that you don't need a formal position or a title to be a leader in education. Yeah, great. Um, that it's really important that all of us realise that we're there to teach children. And that whilst that's, 
Well, that's simple. It's also of fundamental importance to all of our educational practice. We need to make sure that we're creating positive relationships with our students, with our staff, with the parents that we work with, mm. and that we're focusing on their learning. That we want our, all of our um, people that we work with to be not only successful and achieve their personal best in terms of what they're doing at their school, but we also want them to grow to become adults and people who live really rich and fulfilling lives. Yes. And that we're, we're creating people who set really high goals for themselves and pursue those with passion, but also understand that they have a responsibility to use what they've learnt, not only um, as an end to themselves, but also use them for the benefit and service of others. And mm. I think if you wrap those things together as central constructs within leadership, you can then lead, whether it's a small part of your own educational community, whether it be a department, whether it be um, a sub-school, a whole school, or importantly, within educational networks, whether it be with the Australian College of Educational Leaders or a part of um, independent schools, Queensland, or a variety of other institutions out there, there are many different ways to think about leadership. But if we keep students at the centre and positive relationships at the centre, it enables us to do wonderful things. Mm, yeah, that's uh, that's so that's so true. Uh, when it comes to education, what uh, and I know we we mentioned this before we we came on the podcast that it's something that you're passionate about. So I really want to ask you about this. What what makes a good teacher, in your opinion? Oh, I think there's probably a number of things that um, really characterise a good teacher. And an assembly I did a few years ago, I asked all the students to close their eyes and think about um, a great teacher they've had mm. and then try to summarise that within one word. And overwhelmingly, that word from the kids actually happened to be care. Yeah. Um, so, you know, good teachers actually really care. They also teach kids content, but at the core of their practice is their care for, for the children that they have. Yes. You know, great teachers are people with special talents. You know, they spend time to get to know each and every student in their classrooms. They understand what makes them tick and they understand that they've all got different abilities um, and goals and passions and work with them in those sort of areas. You know, best really good teachers also purposefully build those relationships in the classroom, not only with the students, but also with the parents and with other staff, because teaching is a collaborative effort mm. overall. And it's really important, I think, because, you know, as schools and as a society, we need really, really good teachers. Yes. Um, because, you know, teachers fundamentally impact upon students' learning they fundamentally impact upon performance and they fundamentally impact on the sort of people we have leaving schools. Mm. There's, you know, there's, there are schools um, who can really develop really great academic kids. Yep. Um, but we need to make sure that we're producing great people um, as well as really good academics, whether that <laughs> is going off to do... Um, an apprenticeship or a trade pathway or they're looking for university, we really need them to be really good people. We need them to be really engaged within society um, and giving back to their community as well as developing their own skills and gifts. And good teachers allow that to happen. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Uh, if there was a teacher listening and they're, and they're going, oh, that's, I really want to be, I want to be that teacher. I want to be that teacher where kids think oh who's a great teacher and they think of this person what what can what could a a, a teacher do to I, i'm interested not only just to care more but it's sometimes it's, it maybe it's not just that I, I guess you'd be able to unpack this how do you how do you help kids know that you care how do you really communicate what is it that you think a, a really great teacher does and i know you've unpacked some of this in your last answer but what is it that those really great teachers do where kids go, they, they care about me? How do they do that? I think part of it is they spend time with them, Jono, mm. um, and, and spend real time. I yeah. think also they build up hope in their students. So I think hope's an underestimated quality 
um, that many of our youth need for today looking forward. Yeah. They develop, and they develop self-belief within those students and they mm. develop a, a respect. I think there's a difference between students knowing teachers care and students seeing teachers as friends. Yes. And I think that's, that's a really clear and important distinction to make. Um, teachers need to be there to develop self-awareness, resilience, self-belief and hope, but they don't have to be the student's best friend. They've mm. got to be there as the guide, as the coach, as the mentor, um, and someone who, who, who they respect and who they connect with. Um, but there also needs to be a professional boundary involved within those relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that you found helpful in, I, I imagine that that can be, you know, whenever, whenever you, you've got um, any sort of, uh, any sort of relationship, we've got that professional relationship, those sort of lines must be like how to, how to care, how to show concern, but also not have this need to be a friend. I, I, my experience is that when teachers have that, it's actually has the reverse effect when it's that, um, it, you know, that there's a bit of a neediness to be liked. I feel like kids pick up on that so quickly. How, how do you, is there anything I'm just thinking like to get inside your head as an educator, is there anything that you found helpful to really, to really do that balance well in terms of really caring and really spending time, but also that professional element and, and not, and, and not having that, um, just, just not, not needing to be the friend. I think part of it's having a really good work life balance yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and recognizing that, you need to be there for all the students within your class. Mm. Um, I've always found doing things outside of the classroom with students really helps develop that relationship. Mm. For example, coaching a sporting team, take, taking a music group, all those things sort of add to the students understand that you see them as, as a person yeah. rather than as a number sitting in a class. Mm. And, it is, it is about being really aware of where those boundaries are. It's a really hard thing to describe. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's a matter of being mindful of yourself about asking, asking probably that Lachlan Claire question, is this relationship one that is appropriate for an adult and a student? Hmm. Or am I crossing over into, into more of a sort of a mate's territory, which as a teacher I probably need to make sure I don't get too close to. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's true. It's, it's another good way to use that filter, isn't it? How would yeah, you it want, is. how would you want a teacher to interact with your kids where you'd want them to be so supportive and professional? Yeah, that's, uh, it, it's such a helpful filter. I think I'm, I think I'm going to, um, I think I'm going to be using that in other areas of leadership to tell you the truth. It's just brilliant. Okay. Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, have to stay on track and not get uh, thinking too much about how uh, how to use that because I love ideas like that. It's just it's just so helpful. Um, so for for someone who is stepping into the workforce today, I'm, I'm actually working with a school, and uh, one of the things we were chatting about doing was having a panel of of teachers to work with the leadership team and actually sit down with the leadership team and say and do a bit of a a bit of a focus group market research. <laughs> And say, okay, some of the members of the leadership team. It's a larger school, and they, they know they 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 want to get their heads back into really what it's like to be a teacher, because they were just saying that they sense that young, particularly those coming into the workforce now, um, there there's some elements of struggles which this particular leadership team. I know they were just saying we really want to understand it better, and, and there's some element of that, that they're struggling struggling to understand because it feels like maybe education. Has uh, has changed over the years in some ways. Anyway, I, I just say that I, t I share that story just because I know it's something that leaders in the education space are aware of and are scratching their head at times with going, "How do we really raise up, develop, invest in our teachers in our and and with our young leaders who are coming through?" Um, so, what advice would you give? I guess on the on the other side of that, which is the teachers that are coming through, what advice would you give someone who is stepping into the workforce for the first time as a as a teacher in 2021 or if people are listening in 
you know, down the track in, in future years, what advice would you give to someone? The first piece of advice I'd, I'd give to them is, as we spoke about before, really focus on teaching the kids. Mm. Because, you know, they're at the centre of your practice and centre of, of why you are there. You know, schools are about people who, who are there. They're not about the bricks and mortar. They're not about the glass and timber of some really impressive school buildings around the country. They're actually about, they're actually about the people who are in the school. So invest time in your relationships with the students and invest time in the relationship with your colleagues because they're your best source of learning, of support, of being able to really celebrate the great times and yes. also being um, supportive when things aren't going quite as well. Mm. The, the second piece of advice I think I'd give somebody entering the workforce is not to be caught in what I'd call the Instagram um, trap. Yeah. So the, people share some amazing things around the world about what they're doing and they're little snippets of things that have gone really well. Um, <laughs> the teaching journey is not going to be 100% like that. Yeah. You know, we, we, have, we have students in schools at the moment who get caught in the Instagram chat thinking their whole world should be like this person who's posted something up there, a little snippet, and that should be their entire life. Yeah. Um, I, th I think we need to ensure that we're developing a real picture and that we're being really resilient going forward if we enter into um, that workspace. Yes. I think the other thing I'd encourage them to be is maintain that idea of hope and flexibility going forward. Mm. The, We've probably gone through in the last 18 months five or six years' worth of learning in education crammed into that time, forced on by COVID. True. We would have gone through the technology we've gone at the Rockhampton Grammar School. We probably would have spaced that journey over two to three years instead of two to three months in terms <laughs> of online learning that we did last year. And I think that's... If you're entering the workforce now, you need to be mindful of the fact that we have been absolutely in the last 18 months going through such rapid change yes. that we're going to need some consolidation time going forward to bed everything down and, and work out really what does the future look like and hold for us. Mm. Um, I'd also encourage them to be all that they can be, to set really high goals. Um, both for themselves and for their teaching, and to pursue that with passion, to understand yes. that um, that no matter how they try, they'll have fail failures, and if they're going to have failures, they're not something to be um, feared. And the key to success will actually be their ability to bounce back from that and to be resilient in, in faces of those. Um, yes. And I suppose finally, I'd really encourage them to look after themselves, use their colleagues for support, learn learn from them and really enjoy their classroom and celebrate what it actually means to be a teacher because it is really a calling a passion and a conviction mm. yeah i love that it's so simple but it's it's actually very profound to to where you started which is to focus on on the kids that you're teaching and and i love that because i think uh purpose and meaning um is so important in our roles and keeping and and the purpose and meaning in in teaching is in you know it's it's about the kids that's what it's about that's why schools are that's why schools exist it's not about the buildings yeah that's that's great advice what about for educational leaders people in your role or people in um uh, in sort of deputy roles or heads of department who are looking at these young leaders coming through maybe watching uh, some of the some of the burnout or some of the stats around teachers, you know, only teaching for a number of years before they before they leave. I think this is a question educational leaders. Uh, I've talked with, you know, particularly those who are who who aren't necessarily in the in the sort of headmaster, head teacher, head uh, head of school role yet. Are saying, I just want to. I just don't really know how do you balance really caring for your people and leading them well. When it is, it is a. There is an element where it is. It is a like you said. It's a calling, right? You know, there's a sacrifice to, um, like like doing anything really worthwhile. 
how do you, what advice would you give to other leaders around leading, particularly young uh, teachers and, and doing that really well? Well, I think at the centre of it is, you know, we've talked about student welfare, but staff welfare is really a key, key foundation in leading any school community. Mm. Uh, we need to value respect and foster it, really celebrate diversity and encourage everyone to pursue their personal best, but also be there to support to support each other, to be kind to each other, to be generative and really to have that growth mindset looking forward. Mm. Um, I think we've also got to provide time and support for each other because what happens at school is not only a manifestation about what's happening at schools, but it's also a manifestation about what's happening in people's lives. And, yes. You know, life is messy and we're all humans and we all make mistakes. So mm. as school leaders, we need to be able to recognise that fact, provide a supportive environment um, for people when they're going through um, tough times, yeah. but also be there to encourage them um, and develop further. I, I spoke earlier about learning at work. I'm, I think the more opportunity we can provide our staff to learn, develop and to grow, mm. the better we are. We run a leadership program at school yep. and we've run it for the last five or six years where we have um, 14 members of staff apply and do, it, do a 12-month program consisting of six days um, intensive professional development with a leadership project involved. Yeah. And the important part about that program is that we, the 14 people who are involved each year are not just teachers. So we mm. might have a member of the leadership team, we'll have a couple from the middle management area, we'll have some teachers from the learning primary, secondary school, we'll have some administration staff. Yeah. Um, so that there is a joining of minds and a sharing of experience about across groups that don't generally happen within a, within a school environment. So we have the registrar being able to talk to the primary teaching, being able to talk to um, the director of marketing and development at the school. We have um, the ability for people to share their perceptions and use that to grow and develop further what they see as the community within the school. Yes. And I think the other important part about that is it provides us with a shared language to talk about leadership within the school. And yes, yeah, that's right. Being able to equip your staff to be able to talk about leadership with a shared language, a shared vision, and a shared set of understandings is really, really important because that enables them to engage in those behaviours and those attitudes to drive that to drive that further forward. Yeah, that's. Um, I, I think that's that's brilliant, and I think it's there's so much more that uh, that leaders that leaders can do really intentionally to create pathways anything you can do to create a pathway anything i think we often underestimate how the smallest things that that is a time energy and thoughtful investment by leadership in our people in professional development in um in uh, you know that that says anything that says we want to invest in you 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 aren't just a a teacher but you also you aren't just an administration staff you're not just the director of marketing we actually want to invest in you in your leadership in your professional development anything we can do that says that is such just i feel like it has such high roi you know and ror that return on relationship because people it's nothing like feeling like an organization and the leadership really invest in you um something you said earlier that i really that really sort of piqued my interest and i can't help but come back to it was about this idea of consolidation and I feel like that's such a that's going to be such a big thing for leaders to learn, particularly those who are who are, who are you know we're all going through COVID. Is what does it look like to do change? And uh, sometimes we don't think of consolidation as part of the overall change process. Uh, how do you see? I, I guess what what does it look like for you to do change really well? And and as you look really practically at some of those two to three months instead of two to three years changes you've made it at Rockhampton Grammar. What what are some of the ways that you think leaders can think about consolidation? Like, How do we do that? How are you thinking about it? 
I find, I look, to start with, I'll admit I find consolidation really difficult mm. because I like change and I like moving forward. But consolidation is really, really important in terms of having everybody along the journey with you. And yes. I think it's, it's really important in any change process to ensure that you've developed that why, that understanding of, well, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And to have a critical mass of people along for the journey with you. You know, if mm. we're being real, in every, in every um, school setting, there are always a couple of staff who are quite cynical about any change process because change is hard. And as human beings, we don't necessarily want to keep on changing and keep on developing when we know what we're doing works really, really well. But if, yes. you, don't, if you don't change, um, people catch up with you. So you want to make sure that you're always getting better. Mm. Uh, and consultant, so as part of the change process, which had to deal with online learning here, we really did engage the teachers in thinking about, well, how are we going to set it up? How are we going to move forward? And what are some exemplars of best practice from you that you can share with the rest of the school to enable yes. us to all learn and move forward? Mm. So it's, it was really important for us, not for the leadership team to be the font of all knowledge, but really <laughs> to, be, to be those who had some structures, some ideas to talk about with the staff, but also to yes. engage the staff and, well, what does this really look like on the ground? How is this mm. really going to, going to work with you? And what are some questions that we really need to ask to come up with the best solutions? Yes. And for those, and for there not to be anything that would immediately shut down so that we can look at it and wonder about it and consider. So, for example, one of the interesting discussions we had was in the secondary school, our subjects run for six periods a week. And yes. we were looking at it and... The simple solution would have been to run all those six lessons online with the teacher sitting in the classroom broadcasting to their students. We took a different approach um, after lots of discussion and consideration about running four of those lessons um, online, but also giving two lessons back to the students as independent learning opportunities within that subject area. Mm. Because that allowed us to fundamentally change what the pedagogy was um, to suit that blended environment between online learning and provision and independent learning, which was um, both synchronous and asynchronous. Mm. And that, that, that came through, con through a lot of discussion and consideration rather than just jumping to the first immediate solution. I think that's where consolidation does provide, provide us with an opportunity saying, well, we've done that, we look back from it. If we went back to that again, how would that change or how would that stay the same for us to leverage and get better and better? Because sometimes change can be about a, a big shift. Yes. So in Queensland, we've undergone a change within year 11 and 12 assessment, which was a big shift, but it could be little shifts across a hundred different things that by making those little shifts, you actually make a big impact. Mm. So it's, it's about thinking about both of those. And I think consolidation is important in terms of finding out what those little improvements are that can make a big impact when combined together. Yeah, that's great. Now that's, that's a great answer. And what I hear about how you did that process with your uh, with the wider team is that you allowed them to weigh in and uh, legitimately. And uh, I love uh, uh, a phrase by Patrick Lencioni that people 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 will only buy in if they weigh if they've weighed in. Like you have to have there has to be involvement. Or um, one of my favourite books, Blue Ocean Strategy, talks about engagement and then explanation and expectations. And so. I, I love how you said up front, look, there are always going to be people who disagree and there's always going to be people who are unhappy with changes. I think that's one of the things leaders need to realise is that you're not going to please everyone, but what you can do is you can engage with everyone. You, know, you can really engage with every stakeholder. And what, what I find is when things go the worst and, and, and you, you know, say I'm 
coming into work with a team where there's really things have really fallen apart. What you usually find is there was a lack of engagement and there was a, it's another thing I love from this book, Blue Ocean Strategy. They talk about um, this idea, like we have in the legal system, due, pro due process. They talk about this idea of fair process, that your people want all they want. And it's like it kept brings, me, brings me back to uh, the Lachlan and Claire test. <laughs> I love that. All, all they want is fair process. They just want just, just make it a fair process. And so even if you're going to choose something that I disagree with, if I've had the chance to weigh in about it, if you've then explained it to me and said, hey, some people, we know that this is what we're doing and we know not everyone agreed with this. This is why we're doing it this way. I feel like some, you know, <laughs> that if, even if I'm going to disagree with that, even if it's a real deal breaker for me, I'm so much, I'm in such a better place and you, and you really do stop, take away so much of the tension that really leads to a lot of chaos if you engage with people, explain it, and just take people through a fair process and then set really clear expectations. And um, so I, I loved your thoughts there about consolidation. That's, uh, that's really brilliant. The only other thing I'd probably add to that, to those thoughts, Jono, is that sometimes as leaders, we need to take the time to allow people to do things and not see us, see it from our perspective as, oh, I'm imposing or giving them more work. Sometimes... Mm. You need to give those people those that opportunity um, to develop their skills and develop develop um, their abilities, rather than using as an imposition onto them. Yes. You know? Yeah. I think there's there's a number of times where you think, well, I could give it to person X, but I know I can do it in half the time. Um, <laughs> so therefore, I'll do it rather than um, put that impost upon them, and you actually denying them that opportunity to do that and you can actually use your own time almost as an apprenticeship type thing to help them develop their abilities so that when something else similar comes along they're able to do that into the future yeah it's you know i love that because i just watched a I watched a video today around a, um, a a book. I think it's called Four Thousand Weeks. It's one of these. It's a. It's a. I think that's what's called. It's a book that sort of looks at. It's a. It's a different take on productivity and time management. It's really interesting. I'm not. I'm still on the fence about some of the thoughts in there. But one of the things they talked about was how um, efficiency can be the enemy of true productivity. And uh, and I thought, no, oh, that's interesting. But you just reminded me of it there because it's so true when it comes to raising leaders. Uh, or it come, you know, the op the biggest opportunities in through some of these uh, in a crisis when it comes to the biggest opportunities is uh, often involve letting others into the process, giving others the chance to step up, and and just generally in leadership, taking something and going, I will choose the extra time, maybe for me as well, because if there's a training, you know that you know training someone else to do it or be going alongside them can be a bigger can actually take more time than doing it yourself particularly if you're if it's something you've done a lot of and handing that off might be uh less efficient organizationally or personally in the short term but you know that what you're really investing in is that person's capacity you're investing in your relationship with them and um it's so true that's that's absolutely and i think it's uh it's a different take on uh, it's a different take on looking at what needs to be done. I think it's just a different lens. It's a lens that says, well, who, who could do this that might not be able to do it as well as I can, but for them, this is a great next step or even a next leap where if I can really help them and, and, and do it or even do it with them where this is going to be so helpful for them and such an investment in, uh, in their leadership. I want to um, I want to jump over to chat about core beliefs because this is such a uh, this is a topic I'm so passionate about and so uh, and I really think one of the one of my reflections I don't quite know how to unpack it but it's just an observation at this point is that it, it's something I feel like great great leaders who who really do a great job leading organisations and people particularly through tough seasons and tough times like COVID I feel like core beliefs is is something like in terms of what's really driving them um and and the organization is something that's that just always seems to pop up 
So for you, I'm interested to know what, what are your sort of core beliefs when it comes to leadership and how has that shaped your leadership, particularly through this season in the past couple of years? So, um, John, I'll talk about my core beliefs in terms of schools um, yes. and, and how I approach it. So I suppose the first belief we've spoken about before, you know, schools are really about the people who, who are in them. You know, they're about mm. the staff, they're about the students, they're about parents. They're also about our past students um, and the communities in which they are a part. And I think you need to be mindful of all of that. Um, secondly, we spoke about also student and staff welfare is really a key foundation about everything that we, we do at schools. Mm. You know, we need people to be valued, respected, um, celebrate diversity, and get everybody pursuing to be the best they can be, realising that different people will be really good at different things. Um, I really believe that schools are first and last student-centred and that every interaction we have with all of our kids is, is really, really important. Mm. Um, you know, we've really got to have that prime commitment to developing our students as whole people, you know, physically, socially, emotionally and cognitively so that they can be really good people as part of our communities. Yes. Um, I think effective schools really make um, learning and the classroom their core business. Mm. Um, and the community really is not just an important group of people, but also it's actually an important attitude. It's an important part to building a culture within a school. I think networking and alliances are really important for schools, but they're also really important for people because mm. they give you a different perspective. We use... Um, many external people and many different critical friends because sometimes wherever you work you get caught up within what you're doing day to day and it's good to have that that outside voice looking at and providing you with different perspectives yeah. um i think teachers are really are that locomotive of school improvements um and it's really important to, th to get them to thrive and develop with collegiality um, with professional honesty with learning and really with open communication. Mm. Um, I think students are the best and probably most powerful embodiment of actually what a school is. And we need to provide opportunities for them to be heard um, and provide really importantly opportunities for students to lead. Because student yes. leadership is, is really, really important for, for the future of our society. Um, I spoke, I've spoken also about ensuring that you want for everyone at the school and for the school itself what you want for your own children. Um, mm. And if you enable that to be to be your decision-making process, you never make the right decision in terms of what you're doing with your leadership at school. And finally, um, you know, you cannot not influence. Whatever you do or you don't do will have an influence on how you're perceived by others, what you stand for, what's permissible, what you support. Um, you know, modelling and being exemplar is really, really important. Um, mm. and finally, I think you need to be kind to yourself and be kind to others. Um, we can be our own harshest critics and we need to make sure that um, we're not critical of others and not critical of ourselves in a way which is unkind, but in a, in a way that's going to really enhance people's growth um, and development. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I think that's a wonderful place to to land because I feel like what you've done there is by articulating those things. You've you it's amazing how many of those things came out in this conversation where I was asking about what is what would be yep. your biggest piece of advice, or, and uh, and so it's like a, a lovely summary of some of the things we've talked about. Uh, so I just want to I just want to thank you so much for your time. I've I've really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like. I feel like I'm going to be having aha moments, uh, you know, in three days' time. You know, when you have a conversation, and then you, then you, then something you, you know, there's something in it where you go. Particularly um, the uh, the the Lachlan and, and and Claire test. You know, how what how would I want my kids to be led? Because uh, <laughs> that's challenging. I immediately went to as a leader. I immediately went to well, we you would always want for that for your kids or for a family member. You'd always want their leader to be honest with them but to have their back, 
you know, and, and that idea of that sort of feedback, which I think a lot of people find really scary. It's you go, I went straight there. That's why I love that thought so much. Um, but did you have any, did you have any sort of last, uh, last thoughts uh, as we land for, for listeners? I suppose just to sum up, we're all looking to be better leaders as we go through. And for me, it's actually about leadership, not about leaders per se, because leadership is about working with others to make the world a better place and to make your school a better place or make your workplace a better place. And mm. by focusing on the collective rather than on the individual, I think we can do great things. Yeah, that's a wonderful uh, a wonderful thought to, to land on. Uh, well, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's also, uh, we're in November right now, so I'm, I'm really aware, you know, it's a, it's a busy time in the school year for a leader such as yourself. So really, I appreciate that. And uh, uh, also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And, uh, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, John. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders and, you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders, and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I, I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively, and that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and, and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even if You Hate Conflict. 
I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.